I'm going to begin reading in our Christmas story out of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, The birth of Jesus was as follows. His mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, and she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much tonight for the opportunity to gather. I thank you for the safety and protection over each and every person here. And we especially thank you, God, on this most precious and special night for sending your son, our savior, our king, to rescue us and redeem us from our sins and to bring us back into a right relationship with you. We are forever grateful, Lord, and I pray tonight that you will speak through me and that you will speak to all of us, that we may hear from you in a fresh and powerful way. God, I know that one encounter with you can change the human heart forever, and I'm asking you for that tonight in the multitudes. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And so as we read this most popular Christmas story, the openings of our Christmas story from Matthew's account, I'm going to take you down just a little bit of a journey tonight through this story, and I'm going to make four statements, four statements along the way that I would really appeal to you to, to think about, to reflect on, and to meditate and pray over as you leave here this evening and the time through the rest of these days and this Christmas season and the rest of 2019. Four statements that I think if we really embrace them and we allow the Lord to use these in a way to maybe provoke or inspire something fresh in us, a fresh passion, a renewed sense of vigor in our walk with the Lord, God will very much use that in the way that we seek Him for. And the first statement that I want to make is that that's quite a story. I mean, that is quite a story, isn't it? I mean, we read through just a number of these passages, and I can't help but think that any Hollywood director would labor and strive and never even really be able to come close to putting together all the characters and the backdrop and the drama and the theme behind this story. It's quite a story. Think about all of, the, all of the components of this. There are appearances of angels in massive amounts. You know, there are angels showing up on the scene throughout history in the Bible. But here around this Christmas story, there are a, an increasing level of appearances by angels. And here's what I've come to find. When God is up to something big in our lives, the level of supernatural activity begins to increase around the scene. Amen. 
And it's a way for us to be tuned in and aware that God is very much doing something. There's angelic appearances. We know that there is a, a virgin who is pregnant with a child. Never before in history, never since then, could it ever be said that there was a birth like this. A woman who was a virgin who was conceived by God himself through the divine power of the Holy Spirit came upon her and she was with child. We know Mary and Joseph are a part of that scene. There are shepherds that fill our Sunday schools and our kids' church every single year and they make beautiful uh, plays when the kids dress up as shepherds, but there's this powerful experience on the backside of Bethlehem out in the wilderness where these shepherds have a major encounter and they're drawn to this place of Bethlehem because something magnificent is happening and going on. We know that there are also wise men in the story. The Bible refers to them as magi from the east. These are men who are well-educated, well-renowned, most likely come from the same type of scholars that Daniel was associated in his day with back in Bethlehem. And these wise men come and they bear incredible gifts and they open up their treasury and they pour out worship upon this child when they see him. Wise men, part of the scene. Even King David makes an appearance in this thing. Because Jesus is considered the son of David, Joseph is of the lineage of David, and so that is brought into the picture because we know prophecy indicated the Messiah would be of the lineage of David. So he comes front and center stage in this whole thing. And there's a supernatural event that occurs in the celestials with a star that actually moves and travels and eventually rests right over Bethlehem. According to astrologers and anyone who studies space, outer space, astrology, this is an absolute phenomenon. No indication that anything like this has ever happened or ever will happen again. These are all major events, supernatural events. God's doing impossible things on the scene in preparation for one specific event. And that brings me to my second statement, which is that's quite a baby. That's quite a baby. I mean, this baby is not just any ordinary baby. I know all of us who are parents, if we're honest, we'll admit that when we're in the hospital and we're having our child, in our world, it's the most important thing and almost the only thing that's happening and going on. It's almost as if we think the whole world is interested in knowing about the announcement of our child. I remember when Katie and I were in the hospital, the you know, multitude of times that we've been there. You get kind of used to it. They know you by name on the fourth floor. <laughs> but it was, it was really cute. Every time a baby was born, they would play these little angel chimes over the speakers on the floor, and everybody could hear when a child was coming into this world. It was so special, but Really, that existed kind of within the world of the people who were in that hospital. But this baby, this particular baby, changed absolutely everything. The whole world was rallying around this event. Listen to some of the names and some of the things that this baby brought into the world when he came. We know that he was of the Immaculate Conception. We know this baby is called the Son of God, the Son of God. 
We know that he is told that it's said that he will be he will have the reign of his father David, and the kingdom of David will never depart from him. Not talking about a kingdom of this world, but a kingdom from a different world that has now come and invaded this earth, and there's a new reality that's set over this world. Hallelujah. We know that he is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. I could just reflect on that for hours, folks. God came and was born in the flesh and walked among men so that he could fulfill a specific mission that was all about bringing us back into a right relationship with him. We know that it's also said, we read in these verses, that it's told to Joseph, he will save the world from their sins. This baby is also a savior, a savior different than what the people were expecting. They were expecting a military type of savior, someone to bring them out from under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Little did they know or could they possibly even imagine that God was up to far greater things than they could even conceive in their natural mind. Can I just remind you, no matter where you're at in your life tonight, no matter what's going on in your world right now, God is always up to greater things than you can possibly see with your natural mind. The Bible tells us that he is the God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can think or ask or pray for. Don't you love that? We don't even have the capacity to pray as big as what God is thinking for you right now in your life. I love that. It says that he is going to be, this baby will be the king of the Jews, a king that will lead them triumphantly into, victor into victory. But this kind of victory was victory over sin and death, not some sort of military opponent. We know that this baby is said that he will be a light to the Gentiles. This is already beginning to happen. God having a plan to bring the Gentiles, those who weren't under the Jewish covenant, making a way for them to actually come into relationship with God. The Magi from the east, the wise men, they were not Jews. They were Gentiles, yet they were being drawn supernaturally and divinely by the Spirit of God to have an encounter with Him. And so goes the story. The rest of the world can enter into that new covenant, not just the Jewish nation, and be grafted into those promises with God. We know that He is called the Prince of Peace and that He is the source of all joy, an unspeakable kind of joy that's just exploding and being released into this world. That is truly quite a baby. My third statement is that's quite a plan. That's quite a plan. You see, this glorious king, this magnificent child, this savior, this deliverer, you would think that the plan that he would come into the world with would be one of just majesty in the sense where there would be chariots and horses and armies and castles and celebrations all over, but not the case, not the case. In fact, when you look at all of the components of this perfect plan that God had designed, you will find that everything about it was quite humble and quite lowly as far as the world was concerned. 
And there's a message in that that I want to really try to get through to us tonight. But let's look at the, the parts of this plan. First of all, we know that Jesus is born in the city of Bethlehem. It's a pretty humble city. Bethlehem means house of bread. There's nothing significant about it. There's no strong political influence, no strong military base, anything like that. It, it's a pretty humble place. We know that Jesus is born to a, a virgin Mary who experts say roughly was between 12 and 14 years old. I cringe every time I think about that with older <laughs> young daughters. Just say, 14 years old. She wasn't well respected by the entire population. She wasn't looked at as some queen or princess. And Joseph himself, his, his stepfather that would raise him was a, a carpenter in that time, a man of very humble means as well. And then you look at the fact that it's a baby. It's a child. This king comes as an infant, not as some prince parading in on some horse with armies behind him, but he comes as a baby, and he's born in a manger. Of all the places that this could happen, God saw fit that there be no room in the inn that night, and that Joseph and Mary would go into the manger to have their child. And then they would birth Jesus, and he would be in a place of straw and hay with animals. And think about this, folks. This is the humblest and the most lowly of examples of how the greatest king and the savior of the world could make his entrance into earth. What is God trying to say to us in this? What is he trying to get through to us? I believe that he is showing us a picture of the pattern of the way he operates. That the things which are lowly and the things which are humble will actually carry the greatest significance and be exalted in the eyes and by the hand of God. The Bible tells us those who humble themselves will be exalted and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. God could have did it any way he wanted to, but he did it like this to show us a picture that he's not interested and he's not impressed with the fancy material things that captivate the eyes and the hearts of men and have for all generations since the beginning. He's looking for a devotion and for a commitment from the heart of those who will love him and serve him in a way where we would truly humble ourselves and bring ourselves low to the point that we would be willing to lose our lives so that we could truly serve God with all of our heart. And that's my fourth statement for you tonight in this story is that's quite an invitation. That's quite an invitation. You see, God sent the greatest gift that has ever been sent. I don't know how many of us at this time of year, you like to find that perfect gift for the perfect person or you you shop and you look around and no that won't do and that won't do and you try to find that perfect gift and if you're like me rarely do you find it and rarely do you nail it but every now and then you kind of get lucky and you're pretty excited to see the look on somebody's face whenever you give it to them but God absolutely nailed it with this 
I mean, Jesus was the best gift that's ever been sent to the world, and he's a free gift that's being offered to every single one of humankind who will receive him. Just like any gift, you have to receive it. You have to receive it. God has made a way for every single one of us to receive unconditionally his love and the sacrifice that his son bore for us. He's made a way. We have to receive it. But I don't know if you'll be like me and sometimes you'll get presents around Christmas time and you'll open them and you're excited and you receive them and you welcome them and you're thankful for them and then you get home and you know you got all kinds of stuff and you put some things away and then you forget about it, right? It's on the shelf until next year and then you're cleaning stuff out. You're like, oh, I forgot all about that. You receive it, but you don't actually utilize it. You don't actually take advantage of it and realize the benefits that are there to be had. You see, this whole plan of God sending Jesus into the world so that he could rescue us and save us from our sins was, all, was so that he could bring us into relationship with him so that he could restore us back to him and give us the gift of eternal life. But he also empowers us with his Holy Spirit when we receive that gift that Jesus has for us, empowers us to be able to live a life that's full of purpose and that's full of destiny. That God would use us here in this world to do amazing things for him. But if we are going to realize that purpose and that destiny, then we are going to have to devote ourselves to walking with God and giving our lives to serve him. I would just ask you, is he worthy of that? Is he worthy of that? I think in our culture today, we see even in the church that it is very easy to have a casual relationship with God, a casual relationship. And there is a drastic difference between a casual and a committed relationship. God is asking us for our whole heart. He's asking you for your life. Jesus made this really profound but difficult statement. He said, you know, if you want to lose your life, then go ahead and try to gain it or hold on to it. But if you want to truly gain your life, you're going to have to lose it or lay it down. And I wonder sometimes in our culture of convenience and casual relationship, you know, if perhaps we are holding on many times to the things that were so much that it might be hindering us from the greater things that God actually has ahead for us. You see, I've found that when God says, lay down your life and lose it, he's not inviting us into a life of misery. He's inviting us into a life of abundance, life abundantly, joy and peace and fulfillment that's greater than anything we could possibly know on our own or that we could ever find available here in what the world could offer us. So I close with asking you this question tonight. If God truly is asking you to serve me with your whole heart, as you 
approach the end of 2019 and you step into 2020 and God is up to new things and big things in your life, the question is, will you fully commit to him? Will you truly make him number one, the first priority in your life to where everything else is flowing out of that? And ultimately, I believe that it comes down to a matter of trust, a matter of actually trusting God. Do I believe that if I lose my life, let go of my own pursuits, of my own pleasure, of my own conveniences, if I truly sever myself from the need and the desire to have those to please myself, do I really trust God that he has a better life for me on the other side. And I believe that when we cross over that threshold of letting go of our life, detaching from, the, from being hooked to it in a way where we don't need anything except for God and whatever he has for us is always good enough because his ways are better than our ways, that when we do that, we cross over into this threshold, folks, where we begin to experience a life that is truly abundant. And that is the life that our Savior, that our King, that our Emmanuel, that our Lord Jesus came and died for us to have. It's quite an invitation. And I pray tonight that God would just speak to you. Maybe move on your heart. We are all in different places. We are all in different parts of our journey. But I know for me personally, I can always say that there is more that I can give to God. There is more that I can offer him of myself. And frankly, I need his help to lead me through the process of letting go of myself and the things of this world because I truly do desire to lay hold entirely of him. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for sending your son. We thank you, God for the magnificent work of perfection that you did, Jesus, coming into this world and making a way for us to know you closely and intimately. And God, I just pray that you would speak to every person here tonight. Help us to know where in our life we may be holding on and not letting go to something, God, that's not your plan for us to have not your plan for us to hang on to or to be attached to. Help us to unhook from the material things and to set our eyes, our heart, and our affections truly and entirely upon you. Help us, God, in the words of Jesus, to lose our lives that we may gain it. In Jesus' name we pray.